drag everybody into what is now the fifth installment of the Browns Film Breakdown. I am your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR, writer at Cleveland.com. We are now in the midst of game week, week 12. Browns travel down to Cincinnati for the much-anticipated Hugh Jackson Bowl, part one. Browns obviously are coming off the bye week. Bengals are coming off a loss to the Baltimore Ravens by the score of 24 to 21. The Bengals sit at five and five. The Browns come in three, six and one. Both teams in the hunt for the final playoff spot. The Bengals obviously in a much better position, sitting at five and five. The Browns are coming in on this one, uh, one of the fringe in the hunt teams, probably being generous, saying that they're in the hunt at three, six and one, but nonetheless coming in with some confidence. Atlanta win before the bye week, feeling some good vibes. It'll be good for the Browns to travel to Cincinnati, and this might be the best time of year for the Browns to play the Bengals. The Bengals started out the year hot, coming in 4-1, and one, big win in the division over Baltimore early in the season. But after wins against the likes of Atlanta and Miami, the schedule got much more challenging from there. Losses to Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and New Orleans have left the defense in shambles and really have left the entire group on its heels. And the struggles even brought along a coaching change as Marvin Lewis decided to fire defensive coordinator Terrell Austin and take over play calling duties for the first time since 2004. So the Bengals find themselves in a bit of a weird spot, needing a win desperately, and they likely couldn't be any happier to see the Browns on their schedule at this point. So let's take a look at the roster and see how things have shaken out for Cincinnati this year. They're led by now somehow 31-year-old quarterback Andy Dalton, continues to play every game on the schedule. Obviously, is is started out the year hot, has faded as injuries have started to sort of pile up on the offensive side of the football. Joe Mixon missed some time early in the year. A.J. Green has been out recently, and the injuries to weapons and Bill Lazor's offense uh, are only going to do so much for Andy Dalton as he is proven to be a product of the system around him and the, the weapons that he has been provided. Dalton has completed 216 of 348 attempts, 62% completion. 2,466 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. About par for the course for what you would expect. Rushing the ball-wise, Joe Mixon played in 8 of 10 games so far. 128 attempts, 584 yards, 5 touchdowns, 4.6 yards per attempt. Obviously, he had the knee injury early in the season, but seems to have bounced back and found a groove. Gio Bernard has not been much of a factor backing him up. Has seen just 38 attempts for 166 yards and 3 touchdowns. 20 catches, 128 yards there. The receiving core on Sunday will be led by breakout player Tyler Boyd, who has 56 catches for 756 yards and five touchdowns. John Ross, the ninth overall pick in the 2017 draft, who had just three catches in his rookie season. He's had a better sophomore season. Still not many catches, only 11 catches for 145 yards, but he does have four touchdowns. A.J. Green had 45 catches for 687 yards and six touchdowns, but he won't be playing until early December due to his foot injury. The tight end position will be led by C.J. Uzoma, who's taken over for both Tyler Eifert and Tyler Croft, who have both lost their seasons due to foot and ankle injuries. So Uzoma comes into this game with 23 catches, 248 yards, and two touchdowns. So up front, the Bengals are a bit of a mixed bag. They're starting Cordy Glenn at left tackle. Had a really good start of 2018, but has allowed a couple sacks over the last two weeks, so it'll be interesting to see if a fresh Miles Garrett can take advantage of that situation. Right tackle Bobby Hart is their worst-graded lineman coming in with just a 54 pro football focus grade for the season. Overall, the Bengals' offensive line is not going to overpower you. They're going to try to just maintain blocks as long as they possibly can and just hopes that Andy Dalton finds an answer quick enough. 
I'll be very interested to see what a fresh Browns defensive line looks like. It's obviously a group that's played a ton of snaps, but getting a bye week should help the likes of Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi to start making those types of plays we became accustomed to at the beginning of the season in the backfield. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball now for the Bengals, you're going to hear names that you have known or come accustomed to knowing over the years. Geno Atkins still starting on the interior. Vontez Burfick is starting at middle linebacker. William Jackson and Drake Kirkpatrick are your corners, but there are some new names to pay attention to. The likes of Jesse Bates playing safety, the second-round draft pick out of Wake Forest, has had a really nice season for this defense, is one of their highest-graded players on Pro Football Focus. But what I will get from Joe Goodberry later as we preview the Bengals from his perspective through the Athletic Cincinnati is sort of what has caused this defense to have so many troubles of late. Now, they've played some good teams on that schedule, some of the best offenses in the NFL in Kansas City, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, but they broke the NFL record recently for three straight 500-yard games allowed. So the tension that has arrived on that side of the football that caused Marvin Lewis to take over the play-calling duties and bring in Hugh Jackson upon his firing from Cleveland have left many to wonder what the defense is going to look like going forward. Seemed to be plenty of positive vibes after the Ravens game, but they did allow 250-plus rushing yards. They allowed Lamar Jackson to be the first quarterback to run for over 100 yards since Colin Kaepernick, so there's still plenty to be desired. I expect the Browns to attack the running game as often as they possibly can. Coming off Nick Chubb's 176-yard performance and Rookie of the Week honor as well, the Browns will, like I said, Freddie Kitchens should make it a priority to run the football and establish the play action as a way to loosen up the second and third levels of that Bengals defense, and I expect him to do so. Before we get to our guest, though, guys, I want to talk to you about what's going on over at MyBookie. MyBookie is just point blank one of the best places to gamble online right now. They obviously are going to give you that deposit bonus if you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. But beyond that, guys, when you're risking your money making bets every week, it's important to know that the company you're using is trustworthy. That's what you're getting with MyBookie, and I really trust what they're giving us. So don't miss out on the opportunity to jump in, get some betting over this holiday weekend, take the Lions on Thursday. Trust me on that one. Again, use that promo code BLUEWIRE, get the 50% deposit bonus. Get on your way to making some money, guys. That's mybookie.com. You play, you bet, you win. MyBookie. All right, guys, uh, jumping in with our first guest, we're going to talk uh, with Joe Goodberry. Uh, if you guys follow him, at Joe Goodberry on Twitter is the Cincinnati's athletic side of things. He is, he is the football analyst for the Bengals, covers all the X's and O's, uh, obviously somebody that I look to follow because covers a lot of the stuff that I try to cover when I cover X's and O's for the Browns. So I wanted to bring Joe on, give us a good preview, talk uh, both sides of the football, what's going on all over the place, and I, I thought of no better name. So, Joe, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So I always start out, anytime we bring somebody on to preview, sort of state of the union, where the Bengals are right now, obviously in a little bit of a slide, but you know, somebody who's there day-to-day, covering ins and outs. You know, what, Joe, tell me sort of where the franchise is at this point. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question because it's been 16 years of Marvin Lewis. So it's not just the five and five record now. It's not just you know the fact that they started off hot and then really faced some tough teams and haven't been able to even compete in most of those games. And and now they're sitting here um, having just fired their defensive coordinator and moving Marvin Lewis into that role uh, as well as head coach. And you know it's like I said, it's the 16 years of 
not feeling like this team can get over the hump. And as the season starts to unfold, injuries started to take place. The guys started dropping left and right. And, you know, other good teams start catching up to what the Bengals were doing. And, and all of a sudden they look like a very average to maybe even a bad team in most parts of the game. So um, it's things are looking bleak. The schedule, it favors them. They still have the Browns twice. They still have the Raiders. Uh, they still have the Broncos. They can win four games and, and get into the playoffs. But I think a lot of fans step back from that and say, do we want them to? Do we want them to limp into the playoffs and be completely undeserving and go face the Chiefs or the Steelers or, or the Patriots? And we've seen that story before, and it, it's, it's, it hurts more than, than, than it feels good to win those nine games. Yeah, seems like a lot of Ohio fans are dealing with that playoff, do we, should we sort of complex when it comes to Ohio State as well, which is interesting. Um, you know, on the opposite end, the Browns are 3-6, and six, feeling optimistic for the first time in a while. And it's funny, both of these franchises seem to view the other two as winnable games. And there's no, there's no reason that each franchise shouldn't be thinking that they can win as many of these, you know, last six games. And they look at the Browns, too, or they look at the Bengals, too, and they think they should win. So uh, that's that's a funny dynamic, and it will be interesting to see, you know, the end of the year here, which franchise plugs along and performs the best, because it'll it'll be big for Cincinnati, as you know, um, and Marvin Marvin's future, and the same for the Browns, who have a, a coaching staff that's looking to somehow stay on board with Greg Williams going forward, too. So and that brings me to coaching staff discussions. You know, obviously – if you guys follow along the NFL news, Terrell Austin was fired and Marvin took over, and uh, that sort of dynamic was interesting. Marvin's first time I've read since 2004, he's been calling defense. How do you think he handled that responsibility? And I know we'll talk Hugh Jackson later. I know Hugh, he brought to, to help him with that thing. How do you think the, the debut went with Baltimore? You know, it's it's funny because um, what do you expect when you change a coordinator this late in the year, you know, and especially when you go to the head coach taking over those responsibilities. You would hope the attention to the to detail is elevated. You would hope the energy and the rallying to to, to gang tackle would, would increase and would, would, would show on the field. And, and um, you, know, you, you know, he's not going to come in and change the scheme. He's not going to do anything different. He's already the head coach. If he wanted to do that, he could have before, and it's weak. 11, you're not going to do that stuff late in the year. A lot of changes aren't going to be implemented. The playbook isn't going to change. So um, what you would want to see is just better attention to detail. And and you would say, well, I most people believe Joe Flacco wasn't playing last week, so it would have been Lamar Jackson or Robert Griffin. I think the game plan would have been similar for either one of those guys. And the Bengals looked completely unprepared for the read option and the quarterback running. And it can appear that way also because then we'll get into it. The linebackers are completely a mess on this team. So I I think even if they were prepared, they were unequipped to handle that. And um, Byron said himself, even the first drive, it was weird for him because he's not used to hitting the buttons to talk to his middle linebacker and, and relay the play to them because back in 2002, he didn't do that. That wasn't a thing. And so it, it was, that is new to him. So, um, there's going to be some bumps along the way, but you, you kind of expect this defense to get better just based on the opponents. You know, if you're coming off of the Steelers, the Chiefs, and and the uh, Saints, you're going to give up 500 yards. The Bucks, that's a hot offense and it has been another 500 yards to them. You kind of feel like they're going to get it together just based on the the quality of opponents uh, left on the schedule. But at the same time, the tackling was still an issue. 
rallying to the ball was still an issue. Um, communication and discipline was still an issue. It looked like the same exact defense for the most part under Terrell Austin as it was with, with Marvin Lewis in, in just one week of a sample size. So you hope it changes, but so far it's the same, same as what we've seen. Yeah, good good points with who they've played lately. Obviously, those are four high-octane offenses. Pittsburgh has hit their stride as well. So it, it brings me to the point that I think that people who see the names on paper, you know, Browns fans who, who look at, obviously, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, uh, Michael Johnson, Carl Lawson, guys up front, and even Vontez Burfecht being back now, uh, some of those guys in the box, those are names that we know what is accounting for, and you can really, this is a chance to talk about what's happened with the total linebacker group, but they're giving up um, a healthy amount of rushing yards per game, actually probably one of the bottom three in rushing yards allowed, I think, per game. So what's speaking to the run game issues in, in general? Well, for the most part, it's, it's, it's two sides of that, because number one, they've faced a lot of teams that I believe are just good running teams and teams mm-hmm. that got out on such a lead against the Bengals that they just ran the ball in the second half. And and it started with the Panthers, I believe it was week four or week five. Um, and the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey and, and Cam Newton, they just compile rushing yards. It is very hard to, to you know, keep them contained in, for a whole game. And the Bengals struggled with that. And then you, you go on and the Steelers and James Conner had a game. And then and then the um, the Chiefs had their way because they were up 40 points and, and – and, Kareem Hunt was able to run the ball, and they're getting five, six yards of pop against the backups. And you know, once the fourth quarter came came around, and the same happened with the Saints. The Saints were up by forty, and they did what they wanted to do it in the second half, also. So I think some of that was a product of how the game flow went and who they were playing. On the other hand, the linebackers are, are horrific right now, and and they've missed Preston Brown pretty much the entire year. That was the middle linebacker they signed from the Bills, who was brought in because they've been tired of of switching in and out middle linebackers and with veterans that they've signed and haven't been able to stay healthy. And now today they put Preston Brown on IR because he cannot stay healthy. So they've been sending out their Hardy Nickerson junior, who is not a good athlete by any measure. And they like him because of his special teams ability, because of his mental aptitude to get the defense called. Uh, but he makes a lot of mistakes, even though he knows what he's saying, he's out there. His body cannot, put him in the place he knows he's supposed to be. Vontaze perfect, perfect has been in and out of the lineup, and when he's been in there, he's been horrific. He's been completely neutered by the um, fear of committing a penalty or getting fined, and it's affecting his game to the point where I don't even believe he should be out there. And There was a point where I thought he was a top linebacker in the league, and he is not that this year. Um, and then their best linebacker was Nick Vigil. He got injured after about four or five weeks, mm-hmm. and he's on the mend. He's probably got a couple more weeks till he can come back. Replacing him has been Jordan Evans, a second-round guy. Out of, I mean, a second-year guy out of Oklahoma, who they felt would take the next step. Really hasn't been able to. He's an athlete, and that's about it. He's really not um, a natural linebacker, or at least not taking that next step to prove he can be. Um, so the linebacker unit is taking a lot of heat, and it's not just the run game; it's the pass defense also for them. It's middle of the field is completely open consistently in this Bengals defense, um, and. The defensive tackles have have taken some hits also because um, lately it's been too often Geno Atkins has has disappeared. I think the loss of Carl Lawson has really um, affected this this defensive line. And he's while he's more of a pass rusher, 
when you don't have him, you don't have that third rusher, it really puts pressure on the on the Geno Atkins and the Carlos Dunlap to be that. So on rundowns, you know, it seems like sometimes they're saving themselves for that third down, and, and you see more of a rotation now. The Bengals lost Ryan Glasgow, another guy who got injured, mm-hmm. who was Geno Atkins' backup at three tech. They really don't have a backup. They signed Adolphus Washington, former Ohio State, um, three weeks ago. He's been okay, but at the same time, the depth is not there that they expected on the defensive line, and because of it, they have started to wear down. Another thing, too, um, this is a long answer for whether bad against the run, but <laughs> another thing is the offense, the Bengals' offense is only out there averaging about um, 55 offensive plays a game, and their defense is out there for about 80 snaps a game, and this is the second year in a row now. The defense is basically playing two more games a year than the offense, and it, it's because the offense is very inefficient. It's a it's a low percentage on a lot of in a lot of ways, running and passing, and the defense just cannot get off the field on third downs. That combination is leaving them gassed by the time the third quarter comes around. And if you're in a game where you're losing, that's when the teams are running it down their throat. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the IR list is is pretty overwhelming when you get a chance to look at all of the names names that you guys have had contribute for a good amount of time and, and and that certainly will always have an impact on your on your defense especially depth up front and you talked about it well there Joe they they played some they played some really good run defense or sorry running attacks you know when you talk about Pittsburgh uh, the Chiefs Saints Baltimore obviously anytime you have Lamar you're going to run the ball well but touching on offense I, I I you know just checking numbers obviously it seems as though Four of the last five, they've been held under three three hundred just total yards, and and yeah. you're talking about that inefficiency. So I think it probably correlates, and it's not one guy; it's never one guy, but it probably correlates to AJ Green being out. But but just some names I want to talk to you about. Obviously, uh, quarterback play. How Andy Dalton's playing lately? Where's where's his sort of uh, status sitting at right now for you? You know, I have ridden the the Andy Dalton roller coaster for now eight years. And, um, for the most part, I've always been aware of his limitations physically. Um, and he has some mentally, and I, and I mean, and in terms of internal clock being very rigid in the pocket, the ball has to come out early, even if, um, even if it's not there and, uh, he doesn't like to hold the ball in the pocket. He gets, he can be very skittish in the pocket. If you can make him move from his spot, traditionally, he's been very poor at finding his second and third option. Um, and then for whatever reason this year, those first five weeks or so up until the Atlanta game, he was very good, very good. I mean, he had a really good 2015 year under Hugh Jackson, but this year being able to, um, operate when things broke down off script, uh, was what we haven't seen before. And really him and Tyler Boyd had his superb connection. That was really keeping this offense afloat and, and AJ Green getting moved into the slot was helping too. Uh, and he just looked great. Andy don't look great. And Tyler Reifer got hurt in that um, game against the Falcons at halftime. Um, we missed the remainder of the year again. And that was the start of the offense slipping. And it was, um, you know, he's a big factor. And now, and now they haven't had him, so they shouldn't have relied on him so much. But it's just that he is a good player. And when he's in there, he opens it up for a lot of guys. And then from there, Joe Mixon got hurt. Giovanni Bernard got hurt. Um, they had is- issues and injuries on the offensive line with, with the at center, at right guard, um, even at left guard recently, and then A.J. Green also. So they've been hit with the injuries, 
But at the same time, I think offensive coordinator Bill Lazor has really run out of ideas after the first handful of weeks. And as guys have gotten injured, he hasn't found ways to scheme them open, the remaining players. And it's really taken a toll on Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton is very dependent on not only the players around him, but the coordinator in his headset. And um, if they're all struggling, he's going to struggle. And that's what he is right now. He's, he's having a tough time out there. Yeah, no, that's that's a very encompassing answer that covers a lot of what seems to be turning down, uh, trending downward with uh, Bill Lazor's offense. It's, it's going to be interesting because the Browns present some opportunities to get the football out quick and beat some blitzes and take advantage of what Cincinnati's done the last few years, which is just – uh, really kill the Browns defense in the screen game and I'll be interested to see if they get uh, obviously Joe Mixon coming back healthier he's, he's, he's at least played some time here to get back close to 100% as, as best a running back can be mid-year and obviously Gio Bernard maybe get him some touches there too so um, you know the tight end situation is unfortunate but I, I, I think uh, is, who, who's who's starting there at tight end Uzma? DJ Uzama yeah Uzama, and they okay. really liked him yeah. He came in as the third tight end because they really like Tyler Croft, who scored seven touchdowns last year when Eifert was out. But now Croft went on IR also mm-hmm. this week. So um, they've just been beat up at that position. Uzama's playing with one shoulder basically for the last month. It's just, you know, they went from that was a position of strength on the roster for the first handful of games to now it's one of the weaker spots on the team. Gotcha. And then in AJ's Green, uh, AJ Green's absence, um, looks like John Ross is playing more snaps or at least is going to be forced to play two wide receiver sets for the most part. A couple touchdowns last few times out. Not an overwhelming yardage total. How's his, I know the rookie campaign was disappointing. How's the sophomore year going for him? Yeah, he didn't catch a pass as a rookie. He played in three games um, and got injured. And then that was always the, the fear was he was, his injury list and medical history was long coming out of college. And Everyone knew that and was aware of that, but his tape was so fantastic. And he obviously is running a 4-2-2 and everything that comes with his athleticism was um, extremely enticing. And the Bengals bit with the ninth pick. Um, He wasn't able to contribute as a rookie. And really that scared me because when you see these receivers that don't catch a pass, don't score a touchdown, don't don't play um, a full season or or even uh, contribute in a full season, they really have a hard time becoming – productive NFL receivers in year two, year three, and beyond. Uh, but the, the the one factor that I saw um, with a lot of these guys that had the same quality years as, as John Ross in year two was that they scored touchdowns in, in year two. And um, even though they they end up being all of them low percentage targets, and John Ross has, I think he's catching, catching about 35% of his targets this year, uh, he's got four touchdowns on 11 receptions. Mm-hmm. So he is a, a weapon. He is helping the team. And at this point, I think Bengals fans are breathing a sigh of relief that uh, he is not a complete bust and that he can help this this team. And hopefully through 10 games now in his career, hopefully going forward, uh, he hits a stride and can stay on the field more often and become a more well-rounded player. Yeah, I do imagine they will unleash him. Uh, obviously, Hugh Jackson knows Greg Williams' defense better than just about anybody right now. Um, and I would imagine they'll find a way to get him involved and matched up on somebody like EJ Gaines who he can put a lot of speed burden on. So that's a that's oh, yeah. a, that's a a matchup to pay attention to. Two quick topics, and I'll let you go for the night. Uh, rookie, so I always like to touch on the, the rookie recap, how those guys are playing, some Ohio State names that everybody here the connection between you know I-71 are very familiar with and Billy Price and Sam Hubbard and then a safety I loved out of Wake Forest Jesse Bates is one of your better players according to Pro Football Focus so sort of how's the rookie class shaping up for you guys? 
so far so good, I guess. Um, Billy Price was a needed pick, but felt like bottom of the barrel in terms of value at 21, taking a center with only one year of center experience. Um, and he played two games and got hurt. So that would, that's his second injury uh, this year, one at the combine, one in, one in uh, the regular season. He's just now coming off his second game back, and I thought he performed pretty well for a rookie and really only his fifth, sixth game, uh, if you count the one he got injured in. Uh, so he's been okay. And I think the hope is there that he will continue to grow. Um, I think the one concern is the guy that replaced him when he was out, Trey Hopkins played maybe better than Billy Price. So you kind of, uh, are concerned that, um, you know, would Price be better off at center or guard because the Bengals could still use uh, a quality starting right guard and maybe Billy Price should be moved over there. So there is some question about that right now. Round two though, they traded back and, and, they really targeted Jesse Bates that entire time. They liked a lot of these safeties that were coming out, and it looks like it's a really good safety class so far as rookies. Um, but Bates has been fantastic, and they cut George Iloka, a guy who started for them for a long time, in favor of Bates and said, listen, the rookie beat him out. And um, we were skeptical that that was the truth, but uh, very quickly we saw that, yes, Jesse Bates did beat George Iloka out. He's been a plus for that back half of the, of the defense. As a rookie, still some mistakes, but overall, sound, smart player with ball skills and range and athleticism back there, something they really coveted and needed, and he's provided that. And then the third round, they get Sam Hubbard, Ohio State. They double dip from that college, and uh, he's been pretty good. He's a hustle guy, as everyone knows. He's a hustle guy, good against the run, and he will keep going and fight through it until he makes a play. He's been very close to maybe at five more um, big plays, whether it's a blocked punt or a fumble recovery, he could have changed the game in a, in a handful of uh, in a handful of games this year already. And he's been just off a little bit. And you wonder if that's who he's going to be, you know, or is he, you know, on the cusp or on the verge of really becoming an impact player consistently. Um, currently, he doesn't have a plan as a pass rusher, but he's still effective because he has some. Uh, athletic ability and that motor it's just runs hot all the time and then they drafted Malik Jefferson in the third round and for all the issues they've had at linebacker it's maddening at this point that he cannot see the field I think he's seen eight snaps on defense so far five of them were actual plays three of them were on kneel downs and it's all mental they say he's not ready he doesn't know what he's doing he's not ready to go out there and that is alarming because the guys they have out there that that the team is saying mentally can handle it are making mental mistakes consistently. So for me, I'd, let, I'd rather see the guy with some speed that's maybe going to miss, but he's going to do it at 100 miles an hour. So um, the the th- day three guys mostly have all been injured or um, depth players at this point, so not much to say there. But so far, it's a promising rookie class that I think they've gotten a handful of starters and maybe even um, a few contributors from day three. Yeah, the Malik Jefferson dynamic's interesting. It's really similar to the Brown situation with Chad Thomas and uh, guys that they they draft and need to play, and they're they're just not ready to find the field. So it's it's frustrating. We understand that dynamic, that's for sure. But um, it's good to hear Hubbard, Price are contributing, and Jesse Bates is panning out because, like I said, that was a guy I really loved when I studied him. So uh, we'll close with this. Um, you know, the national media. Uh, for all rights, and, 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 and they should be playing this up, is, is a uh, Browns and Hugh Jackson reunion. It's, it's certainly weird. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I can't just think of any time this has happened where a coach was fired and joined another yeah. staff this quickly, and it also has to play his former team two times. So 
the question I have, I mean, the, the Browns, I, it was played at the Hugh Jackson was a player's coach and most of the players loved him interviews this week. There's a lot of guys who were really motivated and uh, sort of some, some weird comments about how they want to play this game and their reasoning for being as excited as they are about it for a guy who, you know, his players loved as much as you know, some people claim. So, uh, you know, the Bengals bring him back in. He obviously had success in Cincinnati leading up to his hiring in Cleveland where, uh, in this whole Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson roller coaster over the years, were you sort of excited, uh, upset, and different about his return? I wanted nothing to do with Hugh Jackson. Um, it's he was has been with the Bengals a long time. Whether it was with the receivers coach, he was a defensive backs assistant when he came back from the Raiders uh, to a running backs coach when they drafted Giovanni Bernard, and then a coordinator again um, had a. You know, up and down 2014 year, fantastic 2015, got the job with the Browns. And really, it's what he did with the Browns that made me really not want anything to do with him. And it's, you know, you can't have the record you do and expect um, to really find open jobs in the NFL. And now it's an assistant job. It's not like you got a head coaching job or anything yet, we hope. And I think that's the scary part, too, is before he left for the Browns, there was a secession plan that was um, presented to Mike Brown that Marvin may coach another year or two and Hugh Jackson would take over as the head coach. And um, it was turned down uh, for whatever reason. And, and Hugh took the job with the Browns. And now we're, here we are two years later, basically, well, three, and and uh, that could still happen. And that's extremely scary for Bengals fans <laughs> um, because we like him. He, you know, personality-wise – it's kind of easy to like Hugh Jackson. You know, he's got some, he's got some swagger and some confidence. Uh, he'll say what he's got to say, but at the same time, when he blames everybody else, but himself, when you can't really get the story straight on who he liked and who he didn't like, because it changes based on what guy just played well, it feels like um, you just don't feel like you can trust anything he says. And uh, for a Bengals team that, and a franchise that has issues with accountability at times, I didn't want that added to the to the to the front office, to the locker room, to to the to the team. So, um, you know, if he can help the roster and if he can help the team, then I can look the other way. But at the same time, I just felt it was unnecessary uh, until really I kind of understood it when Marvin said he's going to take over the defense and he needed the help with the, some of the mundane duties uh, that he'd be letting go. And that's where Hugh Jackson steps in and takes care of that. So um, apparently he has no hands on the offense at all. So he's just there to help Marvin Lewis double dip and, 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 you know, wear two hats and, um, you know, help if he can with game planning and, and division opponents that he saw twice a year. But, you know, when, when I do hear that point though, did Hugh Jackson even know the Browns? I mean, he, he didn't use Duke Johnson at all this year. And you see Duke Johnson's more after he leaves. You see how much better the offense looks after he leaves. You see how much better even the defense looks after he left. And, you know, it's weird. It's weird that the Browns instantly looked better when their head coach left. And, and players coach, maybe the players liked it because he took it easy on some of them, you know, based on what it looked like from hard knocks sometimes. For but sure. then I bet there's players like maybe Duke, Duke Johnson that said, you know, I may like Hugh Jackson as a person, but he's not using me. I, there's no way. I bet there's a lot of players like that, that that are thinking, yeah, we want to go out there and show them what we could have done because he didn't use me or he didn't put us in position to succeed for the last, you know, 30 games. Yeah, no, it is It is an interesting storyline, uh, both obviously, um, you know, Hugh returning to coaching so quickly and then 
not only playing the Browns once, but coming back to Cleveland as well, which will be really awkward for him mid mid the year he was fired. So, you know, the Browns interesting, the, the, the relationship with Hugh Jackson from the fans, it's Hugh Jackson came into an unfortunate situation as the roster was sort of being picked apart and they were trying to bottom out before they took off again. And I think head coaches probably get too much credit sometimes and too much blame. And I think Hugh was never really put in a great position to succeed, but there were levels of success that could have been achieved here and he didn't find them and he really didn't want to take any blame for it. So uh, that, that dynamic between the Browns roster and added motivation um, is going to be extremely interesting for me, and it's going to be beneficial for both sides, really, because he, you know, whether he wanted to or not, he knows a thing or two about the Browns, at least personnel-wise. He might not know what Freddie Kitchen's plans are or what Greg Williams will change things up here and there, but um, it'll be beneficial for Cincinnati to have a really good feel, and then obviously the Browns will benefit from some added motivation. So that sort of chess match, or maybe you call it a checkers match on Sunday, will be will be one right. to uh, to certainly pay attention to. But I won't take any more of your time, Joe. Guys, I, I, I can't quite uh, urge you from, enough to follow Joe. It's it's on Twitter, at Joe Goodbury. If you want to keep tabs on what the rest of the AFC North is doing, he's going to give you great insight. He writes for the Athletic Cincinnati. They have great deals that run all the time. Uh, become a subscriber. You're going to benefit from it. They, we obviously have a Cleveland section that you guys can follow along with as well. Uh, Joe gives you good film room analysis so people who love to learn the game that's what i push learn the game from him uh, get on there follow him again at joe goodbury and then uh you know sign up with the athletic guys but joe thanks for for joining me man and taking some time for for the browns fans out there buddy thanks for having me and maybe we'll do it again next time all right hopefully hopefully we do that uh yeah before i think it was a week 17 or 16 i think it's 16 16 yeah. yeah week 16 okay we'll talk to you then joe thanks for joining me buddy yes sir take care yep you know, it's ironic in that conversation with Joe when he talks about the current state of the Bengals and some of the negativity that comes around the situations with Hugh Jackson arriving. And you can't really help but feel for Cincinnati in this situation, this sort of Marvin Lewis and Hugh Jackson trap that the, the franchise seems to have them in. And the arrival of Hugh Jackson, again, just sort of spells out that long sense of doom that you know many of Marvin's detractors have had for quite some time because... Hugh Jackson carries with him now a pretty terrible overall record, and there are some folks in the Cincinnati realm who think Hugh Jackson might be the logical choice to replace Marvin Lewis at some point down the line. So it'll be an interesting dynamic to see how you know, Hugh Jackson's two meetings with the Browns go here at the end of the year, coming back, being involved. I think it's going to be a major storyline. I don't think it'll have much of an impact on the game, but I do think it'll be nice write-up for you know, the, the, the reporters who cover both teams. There is no doubt in my mind that both teams view this game as a game that they absolutely have to win. You know, the Bengals are counting the two games against the Browns as two wins toward their playoff march. The Browns seem to be counting themselves for two wins against the Bengals, you know, in a march toward respectability and what would be a really unlikely playoff run on the Browns' side. But really, for this group, it's one step at a time. The Browns haven't won a road game in quite some time, so proving to yourselves and the the players on this roster and the coaches and the, the front office people that you can win a game going on the road will mean something for this group. So it's really important, obviously vital to the Browns as they head into what will be a tough stretch with the Texans, Panthers, and an improving Broncos team coming the weeks after this game right here. I want to once again thank Joe Goodberry for coming on. He's great, guys. Get on The Athletic. Join their site. You can follow anybody in the NFC North, really, through jumping in with The Athletic. It's expanding rapidly. And follow Joe at at Goodberry on Twitter. Just a really good football mind, has some really good content for you. So before we go, I do want to uh, do the usual request. 
I do ask for iTunes subscriptions and reviews. Those really do help me and they help the Blue Wire Network, obviously, as well. And your feedback means a lot to me. I like to know that you guys are enjoying what's coming up. If there's something bothering you, if there's something wrong, let me know too. I mean, I appreciate the five-star reviews, but I appreciate any honesty you guys can give. Sunday's going to be an exciting display of where this young team is coming off a bye, coming off getting a little freedom with the week off before this one to sort of get rested. It was important for them. And I look forward to seeing what the Browns can bring down to Cincinnati and hopefully kick off a really successful second half of the year. So thanks for joining me here, guys, on Brownsville Breakdown. 